Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. All right, welcome back, everybody. Here's what I want to do. I want to start with the Twitter files. The Twitter files regarding Fauci and the jabs started to come out at the end of last week, and I really want to just dive into this here right off the top and get to this kind of as quickly as I can. Although, as you might expect, a lot of this is not new to us. We're we're well aware. As I said on Gab, a uh, you know a psychopath got caught lying. Weird, but this is rather interesting. And again, I'm I'm going to read a couple of things here because basically, the Gateway pundit broke down what was released on Twitter regarding some of this. So, allow me to dive in here. It's titled again on Gateway pundit. Justin, another Twitter files drops Fauci and Big Pharma coordination. And the main thing throughout this, too, is that Anthony Fauci, when he was deposed at the end of last year, was basically saying under oath that he's not affiliated with Twitter in any way, and that he doesn't have a Twitter account, and if he were paid, he wouldn't even know how to operate Twitter, let alone log in. And yet, there were there are basically communications that prove the exact opposite. It's not that he himself was on Twitter, but he was directing people to essentially engage in the censorship of particular messages, so to speak. So I'm just going to bounce through these here in chronological order. This is coming from a Paul D. Thacker at ThackerPD on Twitter. And he started off by saying the following, of course, uh, Twitter files, Fauci Pharma files. At last December, Elon Musk sent out a viral tweet about Fauci by saying that uh, his pronouns are prosecute Fauci. It says, number two, a lot of people are spouting out a lot of things about me in Twitter, Fauci told Fox News. I've never had a Twitter account. I don't intend on having a Twitter account. And I've had nothing to do with Twitter. So I don't know what they're talking about when they say that. They continued here, said Fauci made similar claims during multiple exchanges in a seven-hour deposition where he denied using Twitter or even knowing how to access a tweet. And in the deposition, he was asked the following question, did you ever have any communications with anybody removing speech about the lab leak theory of the origins of of the COVID from social media platforms? He said, I don't recall ever having any conversation, but again, no, I would say it would be unlike me because I don't get involved in that sort of stuff. Like I said, my association with social media is almost zero. I don't have an account. I don't tweet. I don't pay attention to social media. I wouldn't know how to access a tweet if you paid me. Well, we know that that's not true also. He pays attention to social media because he himself, of course, has said even in that own uh, in his own documentary series there on, on uh, PBS that he's well aware of all these social media comments of him wanting to be hung by the neck until dead and prosecuted and whatever else. I mean, I, uh, you know, like I said, he's a psychopath and he's a liar and a psychopath lying should not shock anybody. The fourth one here, it says, but in an internal Twitter report in March of 2021, the company revealed Dr. Anthony Fauci did an account takeover for the WHO COVID response or at WHO COVID response. 
This runs contrary to Fauci's public statements and sworn deposition given on November 23rd of 2022. Since according to the tweet, Fauci took over the White House COVID-19 response account again in April of 2021. Fauci was beloved by Twitter 1.0. Elon Musk tweeted last December that the former employee had an internal Slack channel unironically called Fauci Fan Club. Number seven here, it says attorney Angela Shearer, who left when Musk sought to buy Twitter, praised Fauci as, quote, the leading trusted voice about the COVID-19 response in the United States. Angela Shearer was no small fry at Twitter. According to a deposition by FBI agent Elvis Chan, Shearer was one of the attorneys he interfaced with on disinformation, quote unquote, at Twitter. It says Twitter didn't rely on the voices of prominent physicians like Fauci. Oddly enough, they also worked with big pharma companies and pharmacy chains to shape vaccine marketing campaigns. Number 10 says in December of 2020, Twitter announced that they would begin removing and labeling tweets that contained vaccine misinformation, quote unquote, especially concerning COVID-19 vaccines. During that same time frame, Twitter began working with Johnson & Johnson on a COVID-19 vaccine marketing strategy and with CVS Pharmacy to promote approved narratives. Of course, I've been through all of that with the WHO documents and the WEF documents, in particular the WHO, and how this was, of course, their entire plan, and it's in their paperwork that uh, vaccine deniers were their biggest threat. And fortunately for us, Not only did we, of course, survive and and dodge all the bullets, so to speak, but we woke a bunch of other people up too in the process, which was great. And of course, they're still going to come after us as much as they can. Number 12, it says, by the summer of 2021, Johnson & Johnson began a full court press to market a ton of their products on Twitter, including a controversial antidepressant. Uh, And then that's the end of the thread. So. We know that the quote-unquote misinformation was really on their end. We know the propaganda control was on their end. And again, that shouldn't shock anybody. These, you know, as you've heard me say, this information really isn't for us. We fully understand that these individuals were involved in this from the start. This is for the people who are still on Twitter, who still think that the masks work, who still think that Anthony Fauci is the cat's pajamas and might actually come across one of the trending bars on the right-hand side that show these Twitter files, and that might uh, spur somebody to actually click on it and learn something and and maybe wake somebody up. But there's too many receipts. There's too much of a paper trail here. And the constant contradictions that Anthony Fauci is engaging in when he's under oath are undeniable. So I would like to see them become even more serious than they already are, but, excuse me, Anthony Fauci doesn't have to have a Twitter account himself in order to have influence over it. When countless people are quoting him who are on his side and on the side of depopulation and on the side of getting people jabbed, and those are the individuals who have the Twitter accounts and they're the ones with all all of the followers, well, then his influence is ubiquitous across their platforms. So he doesn't have to have a a Twitter account himself in order to have an influence over the whole thing is basically what I'm saying. So there you go. All right.
Just a couple of headlines here before I, I read into this article about socialization and how, of course, that's an entire myth when it comes to sending your children to a public school or keeping them out of a public school. And if they're homeschooled, well, then they won't be socialized and all of that. It's written by Alex Newman, and he really does a very good job with it. But uh, just a few headlines here real quick. This is from Just the News. Texas Senate approves putting Ten Commandments in public schools. It says, quote, I think this would be a good, healthy step for Texas to bring back this tradition of recognizing America's religious heritage, said Senator Phil King, Republican, who sponsored the bill. I think that's a good idea. I don't think that's going to fix the larger problem. Again, it's it's window dressing to, to certainly satisfy a number of individuals. And again, it looks nice. Yes, Ten Commandments back in American schools. It doesn't mean anybody's going to follow them. It'll be another plaque or a statue that people will put up or a poster or something along those lines. But again, it's it's not going to fix the larger problem. And it's, I, well, I, I would akin it to this. It's basically like when a school district builds a brand new school and then they say, oh, look, our brand new school, all our problems will go away. Just because there's fresh paint on the walls and new windows and new doors and a new design doesn't mean that the, all the problems just disappear. The problems remain, and that will most likely be the case in Texas because, again, you have an entire government who perpetuated the Uvalde, Texas shooting lie. So wrap your head around that one. I mean, the hypocrisy, frankly, of having the Ten Commandments in schools, and you have an entire state government that lied about Uvalde. I mean, that pretty much says enough right there, doesn't it? So there's that. Another one from Gateway Pundit, North Dakota House passes a ban on sexually explicit books in children's sections of libraries, in children's sections of libraries. I find that interesting, that, that verbiage there, that, that word usage. It says the bill has passed the House and Senate with veto-proof majorities. Ten Republicans and all Democrats voted against it, but it still passed with a 70-22 to 22 vote. This also applies to, it says, newsstands or any other business establishment frequented by minors or where minors are or may be invited as a part of the general public. Well, that's, that's good. It says, according to a report from Fox News, a librarian or anywhere else who violates the law, anyone else who violates the law could be charged with a felony. They could face up to five years in prison, a $10,000 fine if convicted. It says, additionally, employees of school districts, state agencies, or public libraries can be charged with a misdemeanor if they are found to be willfully exposing explicit sexual material to a child. It should have always been this way. It should have always been this way. It used to be this way, which means, again, who is responsible for bringing this kind of material into those environments and getting away with it? We know who. We don't have to say we don't have to say it again and again and again, but the fact is, is we know who. And ultimately at the top, like I read in the last episode, although I didn't get as descriptive as I could have, and I didn't read the entire document, but we know that it's the UN. We know that this is the World Economic Forum. It's the World Health Organization, but specifically it's UNESCO. They're the ones that are behind all of this. They always have been. They openly tell you that that's the case. 
They have all of their guidelines and parameters for trying to perverse every single child who attends these environments. And if they can get the teachers and administrators on board, then it's game over. And there are lots of teachers and administrators that are on board for this, a bunch of them. So I would call these baby steps. I would say that they're baby steps that these states are taking and that this is something that should have always been on the books. It should have always been illegal because, frankly, it used to be illegal. It's just taking a different it's taking a different medium. It's taking a different location. And um, unfortunately, it's in a different era. But uh, again, if, if this were done in other places, it would have been illegal. But now it's, of course, throughout most, if not all, public schools in America. And uh, I, I don't see it necessarily going away permanently, but we need more state laws like this. And again, I don't think it's going to fix the larger problem of American K-12 public schools. It's not, you know, it's not going to fix the brick and mortar problem. It's not going to fix the institutional problem. It's not going to fix the the insolvent problem that they have. It's not going to fix the employee problem that they have or the ideologies that they hold. We're talking about lobotomies. I mean, that's ultimately what has to happen with many of these people because they just, they're too far gone. They're too far brainwashed. And I have some audio later that I want to play from a school board meeting here. Um, in just a little bit, which again proves it. I mean, these individuals are not thinking about what is really going on in the world. It's a perfect example of what you have when you are basically watching humans operate inside of a zoo as zoo animals. You're outside, you, you don't live in the matrix, you're not in the cage, and you're watching them operate, and they actually believe that what they're doing makes sense. They believe that what they're doing is for the betterment and safety of everybody involved. And we know that it's not. They're just operating on lies. So I'll get to that a little bit later, but here's another important move. And again, this could happen faster than what people think. This is from AL.com out of Alabama. Governor Kay Ivey denounces woke preschool training book and ousts the state official. The state official's name is a Barbara Cooper. Uh, she was appointed by Governor Kay Ivey as the Secretary of the Alabama Department of Early Childhood Education in 2020. Unbelievable. Uh, let's see here. Barbara Cooper, the head of the Alabama Department of Early Childhood Education, was forced to resign after state officials found the department was distributing training, teacher training rather, materials that included so-called woke concepts, according to a statement released. Friday, by Governor Kay Ivey's office, state officials were alerted last week about a pre-K educator resource book that they said contained content that is simply not in line with what the Ivey administration or the people of Alabama stand for or believe. The resource in question was the fourth edition of the National Association for the Education of Young Children, or NAEYC. Developmentally Appropriate Practice Book, Ivy's spokeswoman Gina Mayola confirmed Friday. In the news release, Mayola said Ivy was concerned that the book tells teachers there are larger systemic forces that perpetuate systems of white privilege, quote-unquote, and that the United States is built on systemic and structural racism. She was concerned, too, Mayola said, with the directions that the LGBTQIA plus need to hear and see messages that promote equality, dignity, and worth. 
the book's glossary also includes equally disturbing concepts that the Ivy administration and the people of Alabama in no way, shape, or form believe should be used to influence school children, let alone four-year-olds. You know, you've heard me beat this one to death and even write about it on Substack a long time ago, but I find it very interesting that people don't ask the larger questions as to why these books are making their way into schools or making their way into departments of education at the state level or even, again, these education associations. They aren't asking those questions, and they're not asking who's putting the books there and why all of a sudden, within the last... 10 to 15 to 20 years have these books been making their way into these schools with regularity. Who's responsible for it? Why is it happening? What is the point? They're not asking these questions. And if you were to show them, again, the UNESCO document, for example, on sex education that I referenced in the last episode, or even that World Health Organization document as well regarding the different parameters of of what they want legalized and what they want to be decriminalized, therein lies the problem. You show them those documents, they wouldn't believe it. They would not believe it. They have no idea that at the local level, I mean, your your average school teacher and average administrator has no idea that they're being controlled at the global level all the way down to the local level. That if they think that they have local control over something, they don't. They're always, they're always having their strings pulled, and they have no idea that they have strings on them, which is, again, remarkably problematic for a variety of reasons. But they're being manipulated throughout their entire careers without knowing that the powers that be and the people at the top, so to speak, are always trying to make inroads any way they can to perverse the business, consistently make it confusing which again is why they're always reinventing the wheel and trying to reinvent the wheel. Or I should say, not even reinvent it, just reintroduce a crooked wheel that never works. Then it creates all these problems, and then there's new laws and measures that have to be passed, where either, again, you completely abolish everything, which is what many states are doing, which is great, or you double down and you fully accept all of these perversions and everything that's taking place. And we know that that's happening in lots of states, again, like California, Washington, Oregon. I mean, Washington state is an absolute abomination. It has officially become, as I'm sure you're aware, because countless people have brought this up, but it's officially become a safe haven for anybody who wants to mutilate themselves as a minor. And that, as far as the state government is concerned, they don't have to tell the parents that their child is in that state mutilating themselves because they're confused and deranged, and that's what they want to do. It's an open admission, too, that the state of Washington is essentially a child trafficking hub, and that the government supports that. Because if you have minors who are children traveling on their own, or having a friend drive them to Washington state to cut their genitals off, or whatever else it is, uh, who's to say that that individual is going to all of a sudden do what? Go back home to their parents and say, well, guess what, mom and dad, I showed you. I cut my breasts off and my genitals off and you know, I'll, I can do what I want and blah, blah, blah. I mean, these people are deranged. You know, There's no way around it. But when you have states like that making laws accepting that kind of behavior, they can't be helped. That's where you need the full-blown military to come in and say that what you're doing is completely illegal. 
I mean, something that we have not seen, and I know it's an extreme measure, but something that we haven't seen is a state government be completely overthrown. We haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen it be done by the people willfully and collectively and organized. And we also haven't seen it done regarding the military. We haven't seen the military go into a state house, arrest the governor the attorney general, all of them, and uh, you know the entire legislative body, for that matter, the Senate, you name it. We, we haven't seen that yet. I wonder if a time will come where we see that. It certainly seems like Washington State is doing whatever they can to sort of get the first bid on, on being eligible for something like that to occur. Because again, if the laws, quote unquote, that they're passing are destroying human life, which we know that they are, uh, I mean, when does that become federally illegal? When do other individuals get to stand up and say, this is, this is done? We're not going to allow you to continue to vote for things like this and pass bills like this because it's utterly insane. And again, you have to assume, too, that Republicans who are maybe taking a backseat or even getting vocal about it and losing on a constant basis, they, of course, are outnumbered, but are they receiving any kind of a kickback? as a result of maybe not getting as loud as they could? I don't know. I don't know. And I'm certain the corruption runs deep. But when it comes to, again, all of this stuff finding its way into American public schools, ladies and gentlemen, you need no other reason than to leave. Because if you want these schools to become completely insolvent, that's what you have to do. You have to walk away permanently. And as you've heard me say, it could be done overnight. If every American family pulled their children out of every American school immediately, the entire system would collapse. All the buildings would gather dust, all the books would be useless, everybody would homeschool, teach themselves, and if they wanted to attend a college or something, I suppose they could. But with the online options that are increasing with time and increasing by the year, that, uh, you know, that would be more of an option for individuals because, again, they wouldn't have to worry about attending these Marxist universities and these indoctrination centers where the the craziest person is the person who's at the front of the room and then worry about working with other, I don't know, fellow peers on a particular project or something within a classroom setting and then wondering whether or not that person aligns with them politically or ideologically or from a belief system or whatever it may be. You know, that's one of the cool things about the online environment is that you can turn it off whenever you want. You're not wasting your time and your day traveling from point A to point B. You're just turning on your computer, opening up books, reading, looking at what you need to do, writing, investigating, and then when you're tired of it, you can just turn it off. If you're tired of an idiot at the front of a classroom talking about something that doesn't matter, you can't turn it off. You can't just stand up and walk out. Which is actually kind of funny because I came across a story not that long ago that had to do with. A girl who she was essentially protesting to her school board, and it was very recent actually, this is a recent video, but she was protesting to the school board in a school board meeting saying that she's a, she's a Christian female and the school board didn't warn her that there were quote unquote transsexual boys, uh, you know, dudes, well, trans trans girls, however the hell you say it, dudes pretending to be girls who were inside of the girls' locker room and undressing in front of these high school girls. 
And she brought these concerns, of course, to the school board. And then she told the school board that she brought these concerns to the building administration. And the administration did what they typically do, which is they made excuses for what was going on. They said it was law, that they had to do it, that they had to allow boys pretending to be girls to enter girls' bathrooms and locker rooms and change if they wanted to, and that was their right. And then they looked at the female student and they said, if you don't want to change in that bathroom or that locker room, then you need to go all the way to the other end of the building on the other side of campus, so to speak, and change in those bathrooms. And then, of course, she looked back at the administrator and said, uh, I'll be late for my classes. And if I'm late for my classes, then I'll end up in detention. And if I get detention, and I get detention enough times because I'm late, because I, I need to change, and I can't change in the locker room that I want to change in, that I'm supposed to change in, but because there's dudes in there pretending to be girls, then I'm going to be disciplined even more. As she's describing this whole story to this school board, who of course is not responding to her because they typically don't, I'm saying to myself, this is a high school age female who can read and write. What is she doing? Why is she not teaching herself at home? This is the matrix. This is the grip that has these people, and it continues to hold them, and it continues to squeeze them as tightly as humanly possible. It's the devil himself that is keeping these people within these environments. That's, that's my ultimate conclusion on this entire issue. That, that inability to break free from that mental prison, because again, they are displaying all of the reasons why they shouldn't be there. They're even saying it out loud. I mean, never before have we had since, well, I should say never before 2020, have we ever had children of school age coming up to a school, to school board lecterns and, and lecturing the actual school boards and administrators and calling people out for what they're doing. The next logical move for them to make is to leave. It's to leave. And as you've heard me rail on this issue also, a lot of these students would say to themselves, look, I like the socialization. I like being associated with the team or the sport, or I'm not going to be able to see my friends and blah, blah, blah. Next to no one is friends with anybody that they went to high school with. Next to no one. People evolve. People change. Interests change. Uh, you learn new things. You, you unlearn endless things. You move on. You get on with your life. They're, they're holding on to an illusion. And it really is a manufactured illusion from the very start. But they need to leave. And the socialization lie is just another example as to why. Which leads me to this then. This was sent to me by a listener of the show. Thank you for sending it. Written by Alex Newman just the other day ago on harbingersdaily.com. Titled, Is Socialization a Valid Reason for Subjecting Children to Godless Indoctrination by Government-Run Schools? I'm going to read his article here. It is, it, again, it's, it's well done. He says, as, quote, as it becomes increasingly obvious that homeschoolers do significantly better than victims of government education on every academic metric, apologists for the public school system 
often fall back on their socialization mantra, which, by the way, just very quickly, in the early 1970s, there were approximately 13,000 homeschooling individuals, whether that be families or actual students themselves. Now in 2023, there's upwards of 5 million. Now, I know that population growth is, is a real thing too, but the number of homeschoolers increasing over the last 30, 40, 50 years is not going to go away. That's going to increase. That's going to continue to increase. And the number of students not attending colleges and universities is going to decrease, which again is a good thing. Uh, Alex Newman continues, and he says, but under its true definition, socialization is hardly something to be desired. And under the commonly held understanding of socialization, gaining certain desirable social skills, quote unquote, the data show clearly that home educated children outperform public school students on every key indicator. Before examining the issue of socialization, it helps to define the term itself. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, it is, quote, the process whereby an individual learns to adjust to a group or society and behave in a manner approved by the group or society. Contrast that with the biblical command that Christians, quote, be not conformed to this world, or that they are to be, quote, not of this world. Throughout the scriptures, God repeatedly makes clear that his people are not supposed to adjust to a society that does not respect him and his moral code. No kidding. I mean, I could, I could rail about the jabs and the church and, and all of that stuff on that sentence alone, but that's 100% right. He says, in short, if one accepts the common definition of socialization, Christians and anyone else who realizes that the word that the world rather and society are becoming increasingly immoral should be deeply skeptical at the very least of this supposedly essential process being carried out by government schools in fact alarm bells should be ringing you've heard me say that and by the way alex newman knows who i am he's heard my name before i've heard i've heard dave janda mention his name or mentioned my name to him. So he's, he's aware of my work. He's, he's certainly looked it up. And this is something that I've been saying since, frankly, a very, well, a very long time. That just because an individual isn't attending a school where they think degeneracy is occurring doesn't mean that degeneracy isn't occurring within that school, number one. And number two, that such behaviors won't find their way within that school, which means it's a guilt by association thing. You're still guilty by continuing to send your children to these environments, even though you may think such things aren't occurring. But they are occurring in American K-12 schools on a constant basis. It says He says the following, quote, of course, many of those who ask about socialization, quote unquote, regarding home education do not have that definition in mind. Instead, they are mostly thinking about whether children will fail to learn basic social skills such as communication and healthy interaction with others. In that case, the socialization questions are based on myths and anti-Christian talking points. The first myth is that homeschool families deprive their children of contact with one another and other people outside their home. 
While there are always exceptions, nothing could be further from the truth. Typical homeschooling families are involved in educational co-ops with other families, churches, sports teams, and all manners of extracurricular activities. Under the guidance of the parents and other family members, these children become socialized in the best sense of the word. This can this has been rather true for virtually all of human history prior to the widespread proliferation of government education over the last century. Indeed, to the extent of the term socialization is meant as some sort of process whereby children acquire positive social skills that can be measured, homeschoolers do far better than their government-educated peers. This is true on everything from peer interaction and self-concept to leadership skills, family cohesion, participation in community services, tolerance, and self-esteem. According to a review of the empirical research on home education published in the Journal of School Choice by National Home Education Research Institute, their chief, Dr. Brian Ray, who I even referenced in my last book, he says 87% of peer-reviewed studies on social, emotional, and psychological development show homeschool parents perform statistically significantly better than those in conventional schools. But there's more to the story. In his book, Faithful Parents, Faithful Children, Why We Homeschool, Christian author Donald Schatzenbach explains that the entire concept of schools as engines for socialization is relatively new and did not exist even 200 years ago. Indeed, the term was not even in the dictionaries of the early 1800s. He then says, rather, the idea of socialization goes back to anti-Christian philosopher August Comte, the founder of sociology in the mid-1800s. His goal was to overturn Christian civilization by replacing the Christian moral order, then reigning in the West with the pseudo-scientific principles of sociology derived from the study of society rather, and group life, as Comte put it. With that in mind, it is true that what is referred to as socialization does occur in government schools, but that should hardly be considered a positive development, much less a reason to subject children to godless indoctrination by a government that openly wages war on Christian morality, as the Bible explains in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. In a typical government school today, a child will be surrounded by peers who are all being indoctrinated to believe morality is subject is subjective. Rather, the Bible is at best irrelevant, if not downright harmful. Parents are old-fashioned, quote unquote, and should be ignored, and much more. Not to mention, of course, all of the fighting that goes on and how many, much of that is tolerated. Slaps on the wrist. If it were to happen out in society, there'd be harsher punishments, although not always. It continues, and it says the pressure from fellow students to get involved in drugs, promiscuity, perversion, crime, and evil is ubiquitous. Schatzenbach, the homeschool author, cites the American Heritage Dictionary's definition of socialize as, one, to place under public ownership or control, two, to convert or adapt to social needs, and three, to take part in social activities. He argues that this is precisely what is happening on all three levels, very much including the placing of children under government control. 
I've written about this at length in every book I've ever written. This right here is exactly what the people who work within the school buildings actually believe. That if you're a student who's attending and you're not participating in the things that many of the students participate in regarding the school environment, then there's something wrong with the student. The school environment even created the phrase loner. And that was done as a way to ostracize the student who would show up, go to class, and then go home. They do the exact same thing with the school teachers that do that very thing. The school teachers who show up on time, teach their subject, and go home, and don't like all the games, the gimmicks, and the bullshit, all of those teachers are also ostracized, if not kicked out of the school system, of course, for not being quote-unquote team players. You heard me tell you that story a long time ago when I was about to leave the public school system and I was sitting in a faculty meeting in, a, in the high school where I, was, where I was teaching, and one of the female administrators stood up and actually used a female student as a bad example of what to not promote. And it had to do with the student graduating early, at least a semester, if not a full year early from the high school. And she called, the, she called the student a loner, was making fun of the student behind her back. And yet this was the student who figured out the system and beat the system. She took only the classes she needed to take to graduate. She didn't participate in any clubs, sports, none of that bullshit. She, she had nothing to do with it. And she ended up leaving before everybody else while everybody else was stuck there for another year or another semester. And then she looked at all of us, the female administrator did, and she said, don't tell your students that they can graduate early. Don't tell them this. Don't let them believe that they can graduate even a semester early. They need to be here for four years. That, of course, is not true. I graduated from high school in three and a half years. And the first thing I did after leaving that faculty meeting was I told all of my students exactly what that administrator told all of us as a faculty. And I said, you can graduate from this school early and you should. In fact, I looked at them and I said, you should all be homeschooling yourselves because you can read and write, but you're determined to still come here for some strange reason. So if you're still determined to come here, why don't you just figure out how you can leave faster? And then they all looked at me again with huge eyes and they were like, what? We, we, we can do that? And I went, yes, you can. Figure, meet with your counselor, figure out what classes you need to graduate, and just take those classes. Now, this is, of course, where the counselor becomes a problem because the counselor actively gets involved in suppressing the information from the student to keep the students and the parents prisoners within that system longer than they have to be by just flat out lying to them and telling them that they have to stay there and they can't leave and you have to be here for four years, and if you don't have all these extracurriculars and, and clubs and groups on your resume, when you go off to get a job or apply to college, you'll never get in. All of that is also a lie. It's always been a lie. The environment lies to everyone who, who attends on all levels, including what to do within the actual environment. Just look at all of the lying that people tolerate. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. 
Newman continues here. There's a few more paragraphs, not many. He says, even the best teachers in government schools have publicly repudiated the notion that they are helping socialize the children in any positive manner. Consider John Taylor Gatto, uh, the New York City and the New York State Teacher of the Year in the early 90s. After realizing the damage he was doing to children in the public system, he sent his resignation letter to the Wall Street Journal. Quote, I've come slowly to understand that what, I, that what it is I really teach, a curriculum of confusion, class position, arbitrary justice, vulgarity, rudeness, disrespect for privacy, indifference to quality, and utter dependency. Gatto explained in his letter that sent shockwaves through the education world, quote, I teach how to fit into a world I don't want to live in, unquote. Quote, my orders as school teacher are to make children fit in an animal training system, not to help each other, uh, not to help each find his or her personal path, it says, added Gatto, who went on to write books on the devastation caused by public schools. Quote, there isn't a right way to become educated. There are many ways as fingerprints. We don't need state-certified teachers to make education happen. That probably guarantees it won't, unquote. Those who fashion the system to socialize children appear to have had some of that in their mind. Anti-Christian humanist John Dewey, widely regarded as the father of Americans' public school system, outlined his views in the subject in Democracy and Education in 1916, shortly before his infamous trip to Fawn, over the Soviet Union. Quote, Education, in its broadest sense, is the means of the social continuity of life, Dewey explained, implying that education was not so much about the individual or God, but about society and the collective. Quote, each individual, each unit, who is the carrier of the life experience of the group, in time passes away, yet the life of the group goes on. Unquote. In other words, in Dewey's mind, the purpose of the education and socialization was to train individuals for the, for the benefit of the group and its perpetuation. Exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly what school board members believe. It's exactly what administrators believe, what school teachers believe by and large. The entire system believes that. If everybody's not doing the same thing, then there's something wrong with the person who's not playing along. Uh, Newman wraps this up and says, whatever this may be or not be, it is certainly not the biblical view of education as a parent-led means of teaching individual children to know, fear, and glorify God while giving them the tools to live a moral and meaningful life on this side of eternity. Next time somebody asks about socialization of homeschoolers, you might start by asking exactly what they mean with that term. No matter how they answer, for Christians and even those who simply value true education, homeschooling clearly comes out on top, unquote. That's well done. Yep. The whole socialization thing has always been a lie, which leads me to this. You've heard me reference this school board before, and I've played audio from it before, and I will continue to do so because, as I said earlier, you're talking about watching individuals who live inside of the matrix and i have to tell you it really does um it makes me remarkably uncomfortable to watch these people 
they have no idea how brainwashed they are. Not a clue. Not a clue. And you've heard me say that I've Walter Mittied going to this town because this is where my niece and nephew attend. And, uh, and speaking at their board meeting about the jabs and what they've done and demanding an apology for the mask wearing, for the child abuse, that they're all child abusers. I would ask them how many of them are jabbed, how many of your staff members are jabbed. Did you keep track of that information? How many of them are sick? Have any of them died as a result of the jabs? And I would just continue to press them as to what they've done. They have no idea what they've done, not a clue. These people are out to lunch in every stretch of the imagination. So I've got a few notes here before I play this audio, just some basic observations. One of the things that's really disturbing too is that, well, they were giving out awards at this particular, uh, this particular board meeting from just over a week ago, a couple of weeks ago now. And uh, they were, I mean, it was interesting. You know, there's no public comment section. There's no concerned parents. There's none of that. They're not, there's, the town must be filled with cowards because no one is showing up to speak the truth to these people. I mean, no one. You know, when it comes to the public comments section, no one's criticizing them at all. And if they are receiving criticize, a criticism, which I know that they do, it's, it's typically just over email. It's very rarely to their faces. Uh, not to mention this particular school board meeting, their last one only has 62 views on YouTube. So hardly anybody watches these school board meetings. And again, what you, what you gain from watching them is astounding. It's astounding information, and not to use the word sociology, but to flip that term on its head for a minute, you really are watching the poisonous collective meeting together, patting each other on the back, and, and making the typical comments that, that they would make only because they live in the matrix and they have no idea what's going on. So you heard me mention in a previous uh, board meeting regarding this school board that the superintendent read his resignation letter. So he's leaving and he's taking a college position, I believe at Columbus State in whatever department he's taking it in. The woman to his left is a Jennifer Altman. She is one of the school board members. She was sick and absent. I assume she was sick. Well, she is sick because she's at least triple jabbed, but she, uh, she was absent in the last board meeting, but she's back in this board meeting. And you can't make it up because I know you've seen this before, but she's the only person wearing a mask. She's the only one. No one else is wearing a mask, which means at face value, the mask wearing was a complete lie from the start because nobody else there at the table or in the entire room is wearing a mask but her. So why is she wearing one and no one else's if COVID, quote-unquote, is such a big problem? If she's sick, why is she there and why isn't everybody else concerned for their own well-being? You see, they should be concerned because they're probably all jabbed, not to mention they're, they're sitting next to a jabbed person, at least a triple jabbed person. Hell, she could be one of these people that got four or five shots. I'm, I'm shocked she's alive. She's first in my Deadpool. When it comes to this school board, she's first in my Deadpool. Um, but with that said, she's back. And 
the audio that I'm going to play here, well, first, I'll say this. Again, th- there's no mention of the jabs. There's no mention of mask wearing. There's no apologies. Th- they're past it now. It's as if all the abuse that they engaged in over the last three years never existed. None of it, none of it happened. So I'm going to play this audio now, and it's about a slightly different subject. This has to do with uh, the school safety and the lockdown procedures. This is a Mr. McElroy who apparently works for the district and has been invited in to ask for the board to make a couple of amendments to a couple of the revisions to their policies regarding the verbiage on the school safety. Long story short, they're going to do more drills and they're going to do them more frequently. And that's that's their plan going forward. Now, why is that? Because that's the reactionary response that every American K-12 school system has to fake school shootings that they believe happen when in fact they don't. You see, I've also Walter Mitted coming up to the lectern in this school board meeting and telling them that these school shootings didn't happen and that they have no proof. And that if I asked them to to prove it to me without pointing at a television screen, they couldn't do it. These are not thinking people. They don't investigate anything. They simply react and respond to what their television tells them. That's, that's about it. If you walked up to a school board meeting and I would love someone to do it, please don't make me do it. Don't, don't make me the only person in America to do it because you know I'll do it eventually. But don't make me go up to a lectern and tell them that no one died at Sandy Hook, no one died at Uvalde, and no one died in Nashville, and that they all need to stop watching their televisions and start investigating these things because they did not happen. That there are endless documentaries and copious amounts of books that have already been written about these subjects that prove that all of these things did not happen, and yet here they all sit, believing that it occurred, and then making policy and amendments to policy in order to ramp up the police state and the security state, because that's what they want. Their own insecurities and their own lack of knowledge filters downstream through all that crap, and it lands right in the lap of a minor, right in the lap of a child who doesn't have a chance and grows up in this environment being scared because of the policies that they push forth that really shouldn't be. It's not that they shouldn't be there. You should have a lockdown scenario if you want, just out of safety, because that does happen. A whack job gets pulled over in an automobile, runs out of the automobile while being chased by cops, and then runs into the nearest building, and that building happens to be a school with unlocked doors. Lock your doors then. I mean, yes, they should have a policy as to where students should go and staff members should go and all of that, but at the same time, Perpetuating this this security state is uh, is purposeful, and they too have no idea that this is coming from the powers that be. So here we go. This is a Mr. McElroy. He's a he's an older black man. Comes up to the lectern, starts making uh, just very broad comments. He doesn't really get into the specifics per se, but you'll hear a couple of the uh, of the board members speak. The first woman who speaks. I mean, they're all leftists for the most part, but 
what you'll end up hearing her say is, is she ends up making a comment about Nashville without bringing up Nashville. And she'll just say, well, the state of things that are happening in our country right now are just awful. And we just want to make sure that we're keeping everyone safe and whatever else. Again, that directly implies that she believes all of this is real. And then the masked up, triple jabbed, I have AIDS, Jennifer Altman decides to speak. And uh, and she asks again, can you please go through the procedures and the policies you know, as quickly as you can just to let everybody know about this, that, and the other? And again, they're doing all of this as, as board members to make it sound like they care about everybody. Like they've got it all figured out. Again, they couldn't be more wrong. So it's not that there's a ton of revealing things in this audio per se. It's just that I want you to hear sort of the malaise and I want you to hear the tone of the way that they speak because ultimately they're talking about nothing. And this right here should show you where their priorities exist. It exists in fallacy. So here's that audio in three, two, one. Um, I'm going to ask Mr. McElroy to join us for 10.5 and 10.6, two new policies, policy 8400, school safety, and policy 8420, emergency situations at school. Welcome. Thank you. Good evening, President Davidson, Vice President Meyer, members of the board, Dr. Kellogg, Mrs. Marshall. Tonight you have revisions to policy 8400, school safety, and policy 8420, emergency situations in schools, in front of you. Policy 8400 has been revised to reflect the recent verbiage and procedures under state law for the district's emergency management plan, threat assessments, and persistently dangerous schools. Thus, it is recommended that the board adopt the changes in policy 8400. Also, on policy 8420, emergency situations at schools has been revised to include an accurate reflection of state law 3737.73. This revision to policy reflects new verbiage for fire, tornado, and safety drills that are, be, that are being conducted in each of our schools. Thus, it is also recommended that the board adopt the changes in policy 8400 as written. Any questions? Just a comment. Um, I was really pleased to see these revisions. I usually grumble when there's too much procedure in a policy, but uh, in the case of the revised school safety policy, I think that what is in that policy is appropriate and should be publicized fairly widely, um, just as there were concerns about the release of private information and directory information and all other student information. There are also concerns based on what has happened in this country yes. around what we do uh, with threat assessments, how we approach those. And uh, people want to know that we do have good plans in place. And this policy goes a long way toward describing some of the approaches that we take. And I thank you for that language. You're welcome. I appreciate that because you're right. We receiving, I received a number of calls from people asking those questions and I'm always willing to have those discussions, but it's great to point to policy that supports that approach as well. Thank you. I do have just one quick question. Thank you also for this. Um, so on the for the EMPs, just for folks who haven't heard of them, it's sort of spelled out here, but if you could just do like the 10 second, you know, that each building has an EMP um, and what's in that. And I just wanted to clarify, when we say building here, the district has academic buildings, but we have lots of other buildings. 
So does that apply to all buildings or academic buildings, just to be clear? So thank you for that. Um, the, the state law really focuses on buildings with students, but this district also um, widens that approach. So our emergency management plans also affect buildings like this building uh, particularly. Um, the emergency management plan is basically an article that helps um, describe the responsibilities that each school district and each school building has in reference to its drills. So we have to have X amount of fire drills, X amount of um, tornado drills, X amount of safety drills. So it speaks to that. It also speaks to the reporting of our um, site plans, um, emergency plans, um, other plans that we have in place to protect our students. And some of this information is only shared with our first responders and other information shared directly with the state. Um, and it also covers our threat assessment teams um, and the new law states that schools from grades six to have grades six through 12 have to have threat assessment teams um, in them that are trained and um, that information is also included in our emergency operations plan. I have to say that Westerville has gone above and beyond the um, state law of six through 12, that we have emergency, um, I'm sorry, we have threat assessment teams in all of our schools. So therefore, all those involved in the threat assessment process are trained, and we track that and report that to the state each year. The also, the emergency management plan also discuss the training of drills and the practicing of our drills, our full-scale exercises, our tabletop exercises, and our functional exercises that have to take place in a three-year cycle. Um, last year, we conducted our full-scale exercise, and now we'll rotate to our emergency plan, which points towards either a um, full-scale exercise, I'm sorry, a uh, functional exercise or a tabletop exercise. And most likely, we'll point towards tabletop exercises this year, so that way we can really help people understand the importance of conducting threat assessments and other types of drills that will take place in our buildings. Thank you for walking through that and for, um, I mean, it's, it's the most important thing, right? So just thank you. You're welcome. Now, just very quickly, there's really, again, there's really not a lot there, although you can't help but hear all of that and think to yourself again that the homeschooling family is laughing their tails off because they have nothing to do with any of this. Again, it frees up the mind to really explore and do whatever it wants throughout the course of a day when you never have to think about going to an American public school and wasting your time, sticking your head on the ground next to a locker with your ass up in the air, wondering whether or not, you know, there's a real tornado or is this just a fake drill? You know, getting under your desk and duck and cover, locking the doors and running to the corner of a room during a drill because you have to run through these things because school shootings are really a thing. It's nuts. You heard the guy at the beginning say persistent dangerous schools. We have to do this because of our persistent dangerous schools. If they're so persistently dangerous, then why is anybody going? He, of course, referred to their emergency management plan and, and all these plans and plans and plans. And I mean, what are those plans going to be? Well, we know what the plans are going to be. It's just going to be more drills. They're just going to run more drills because that's really all they can do. Every single time that one of these manufactured school shootings, which is fake, takes place. They run through more and more drills. These, these fake school shootings will persist. It will create more training, which is completely unnecessary for endless school employees 
eventually to the point where they don't have threat assessment teams within every single school building, but every single teacher will have to run through this training upon being hired. I'm sure there are districts that already have that in place across America. That will only increase with time. Just another reason to not be a school teacher. But this will persist. This will this will continuously be a thing. So the students of that district can look forward to more drills. The teachers of those buildings can look forward to more training that will be forced upon them against against their will. And there's nothing that they can do about it. Or is there something that they can do about it? They can walk away. And again, you heard the Jennifer Altman gal at the end who's wearing a mask and hard to hear. Well, thank you for all of that. It's it's the most important thing. It's the most important thing. The most important thing is getting the biological weapon out of your bloodstream and out of your DNA. That's probably the most important thing that she needs to be focusing on. But again, if you're still believing the mask lie, and you believed it from the start as she did, and you're at least triple jabbed, and you've taken every drug and antibiotic under the sun to make yourself feel better because that's what your doctor tells you, that you probably have long COVID, and you're sitting at home and you're watching the news on a day-in, day-out basis and believing these shootings, in particular if they show up on Fox News, because let's not kid ourselves, Fox News tells the truth, don't they? Fox News always tells the truth, and if it's on Fox News and CNN, then it must be real. So she goes home, watches all of that, believes all of that, and then comes back to the board meeting and then asks further questions about how lockdown procedures and safety and security, even in buildings where students are not attending, that those are all important, you know, for all of those times that there are real school shootings. These people, have, they're lost. They're absolutely lost. Jesus Christ himself could drop out of the sky, stand in front of them and say, you are mistaken, you not know what you do. And they would say, I'm sorry, did you sign in? Because this isn't the public speaking portion of our meeting right now, so you need to sign in. And if you don't live locally, well, then you can't speak here. They've lost their minds. These people have lost it. The environments are not safe for one reason and one reason alone. The people who work within believe things that are not real. That's it. That's the only reason. There are many, really, but that's the number one reason. That's why people refer to them as indoctrination camps, because that's exactly what they are. Everybody throughout the entire district, all the way to the top, is operating under things that are not real. It is the epitome of brainwashing, which as you heard me say at the beginning, it is quite literally like you are at the zoo and you're watching animals in a cage, but the people in the cage don't know that they're animals and they don't know they're in a cage. They have no idea. And they don't know that they can get out of the cage. They just stay there. It's depressing. But that leads me to this. Jab-related stuff. Okay. On kind of a lighter note, although not really, this past Saturday, I decided to compile the list that I was sort of describing earlier and uh, regarding, well, frankly, the um, jab-related books and jab-related documentaries. 
that have existed here over the last few years, and I decided to compile a slight list and send it to my local city council. Because as you may recall, the finance director was jabbed and fell over dead during his lunch break of a heart attack right uptown. So here's the email I sent them. I will read it to you, and then I'll list the, uh, the documentaries that I have listed here in the books as well. And you can find that template of those, of those documentaries with all of the links included and the book titles and the authors on my website under the Government Documents tab of AmericanEducationFM.com. Okay. My email went like this, quote, You're most certainly unaware that countless documentaries and books have been written about the virus, quote-unquote, and COVID lie, quote-unquote. Your actions prove this. So for your viewing education, I've included a list of both for you. You won't watch these nor read these books, because if you do, your comfortable delusion will crumble to the ground and you'll be forced to see what you have done to yourselves and what you have done to the people of this town, the city's employees, and the members of your own families. With that said, you have a choice. Continue to believe the lies you were sold and blindly adhered to without question, or come to grips with the fact that you were lied to and that you're wrong, and take these moments to unlearn what you have learned and relearn the truth and then apply the truth. My money is not on you applying the latter. Enjoy. And then I have listed documentaries about COVID, and I have COVID in quotes. I have all five parts of the viral delusion on BitChute, which was really the first documentary that came out about the COVID, the COVID nonsense and the, the lies of virology and the lies of HIV and all of that stuff. All of that's there in that five-part series, multiple hours long. Highly recommend it if you haven't watched it. Uh, I have Plandemic, The Hidden Agenda Behind COVID-19, Plandemic 2, Indoctrination, Germs, Viruses, Bacteria, Etc., All Debunked is another one, Germ Theory versus Terrain Theory, Hidden Esoteric Knowledge to Poison You from Cradle to Grave, Important Information on Coronavirus 5G Kung Flu is another one. I then have Died Suddenly. Fluvid 19, and the most recent, which has been put together, which is titled COVIDism, Contagious Deception, which you heard me reference in a previous episode. As far as the books are concerned, the titles here are The Truth About Contagion, Exploring Theories of How Disease Spreads by Thomas Cowan, MD, and Sally Fallon Morell. Plague of Corruption by Dr. Judy Mikovits, Ending Plague. By Judy Mikovits, also. COVID 19 and the Agenda to Come, Red Pilled by James Perloff. My last book, The Unmasking of American Schools, The Sanctioned Abuse of America's Teachers and Students. The next one, The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert F. Kennedy. Uh, the next one, The Truth About COVID 19 by Dr. Joseph Mercola and Ronnie Cummins. And uh, two more, How to Survive COVID Policies in the Hospital, The Definitive Resource to Protecting Yourself and Your Loved Ones from Policies, Procedures, and Lies by S.R. Buckle, if I'm saying that right, and uh, The Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalization and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex by John Leake and Peter McCullough. So again, if you're interested in sending all of those to anybody you want, go for it. 
there's the list. Again, it's on AmericanEducationFM.com under the Governments tab. Scroll down to where you will see the title where it will say Documentaries and Books About the COVID Lie, I believe is what it says. And it's a downloadable PDF. So there you go. Okay. A few more jab-related things, just a couple here real quick. Story out of Zero Hedge, controversial, uh, controversial mRNA technology now targeting livestock. Of course, I briefly mentioned this earlier in some previous episodes, but I just want to read a couple of things here. It says, at least five states have introduced bills restricting the use of controversial mRNA technology or gene therapies in livestock or demand full disclosure to consumers on product packaging. The states considering legislation include North Dakota, Tennessee, Arizona, Idaho, and Missouri. It then says Idaho House Bill 154 would make it a misdemeanor offense for anyone who provides or administers a vaccine using mRNA technology, quote, for use in, in an individual or any other mammal in the state, including people. Arizona House Bill 2762 requires conspicuous labeling of all aquatic livestock or poultry products that received mRNA vaccines and prohibits these products from being labeled as organic. Tennessee House Bill 0099 amends an existing law to prohibit the manufacture or sale of livestock or meat that contains mRNA vaccine or vaccines materials without a conspicuous label that there are such ingredients in the product. See, they'll tell you that it's in the product. They're just going to count on you not reading the label. Guarantee that. Um, and then it says in North Dakota, state lawmakers filed SB 2384, which seeks to ban the use of mRNA vaccines in humans and to introduce a penalty for anyone breaking the prohibition. Missouri State Representative Holly Jones, a Republican, is a lead sponsor of the bill requiring the labeling of all livestock meat containing potential gene therapy products. Honest to God, they've been po- poisoning the food for a long time, but. This is how they this is how they try to get the unjabbed. This is how they try to get the unjabbed sick. Here's another one here, uh msnrather.com. City of Chicago employees fired for refusing COVID vaccine must be reinstated. The judge rules and they should receive all their back pay. So all that firing that they all did, a judge just said that it was illegal. They should all be reinstated, all get their jobs back, and all receive the money that they lost while being unemployed. This is the problem you've heard me say time and time again. If that's the case now, then why isn't all why aren't rather all of the humans who push forth the policy in the first place arrested for breaking the law? Why is former Mayor Lori Lightfoot Beetlejuice not arrested? along with all of the individuals who followed through with any kind of a mandate that she put forth that said you're going to lose your job if you're not jabbed. See, that's the lack of accountability. No one's going to jail. Oh, a judge just ruled that everything was illegal. You know, that's, but don't worry. Go about your business. You'll get your job and your money back, but don't worry. No one's going to be held accountable. It's, it's amazing. 
Absolutely amazing. Uh, this last one here, it comes from ICanDecide.org, the Information Consent Action Network, which again, filled with lawyers going after all the COVID companies allegedly, and certainly bring a lot of, bringing a lot of this news to bear when it comes to the Pfizer documents that have been released as per the court order, some of which I've gone over here uh, on the show previously, certainly last year, but I haven't touched on them for quite some time, but I, I want to now because they have a nice little rundown of it, and they're continue, going to continue, rather, to do a rundown of these Pfizer documents on a month-in, month-out basis. These are from the ones that were released at the beginning of the month of April here. It says, as you recall, from prior updates, the attorneys that represent ICANN are representing the plaintiff in a lawsuit against the FDA to obtain Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine documents. April's production of the Pfizer documents is made up of 52 PDFs. You may want to check these out for yourself. And again, they they summarize a few of them here. They say, quote, uh, there's a few bullet points, five actually. It says, this study appears to contain a detailed two-page list of miscarriages that occurred after vaccination, as well as adverse events suffered by infants who were exposed to the vaccine via breastfeeding. Another bullet point, and it highlights the study, says this study shows that one way Pfizer determined whether an adverse event was related to vaccination was based on timing. The study looked at adverse events in different intervals of time. A risk interval, quote-unquote, for certain adverse events was 1 to 42 days after a dose, and a post-vaccination control interval was 43 to 84 days after a dose, or less in some cases. In many cases, if an individual happened to suffer a health event, both during the year prior to vaccination as well as during the risk interval, the event will not be counted. Meaning if an individual suffered from a Guillain-Barre syndrome during the year prior to vaccination, say for example after a flu vaccine, and then had another case of it during the 42 days after a dose of Pfizer vaccine, it would not be counted. As the document itself notes, quote, an erroneously short risk interval may similarly result in underestimation of effect when using post-vaccination time intervals for self-control, unquote. The next bullet point says both this document and this document, and they have links to both, list the individuals in the study who died, suffered an adverse event or serious adverse event, withdrew, or who got COVID after vaccination. I've even been over those documents before, and there are many of them. Many of them, again, during the trials where they were giving their patients these jabs or these you know, science experiment human beings who were subjecting their bodies to this for money or some form of compensation. And uh, they were receiving the jabs, and then the company tried to call them back to ask them how it was going, and it would simply say on the document, could not be reached for further comment. <laughs> because they're dead. <laughs> that's, that's, why. that's why. That's why their phone kept ringing and ringing and ringing, and no one was picking up, and numerous voice messages were left, and they never got back to us because they died. The next one says this document curiously references, quote, re reactogenicity data, changes 
as requested by the Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research, SBER, including flags, in the teleconference held on April 8th of 2021 and nothing additional, unquote, which appears to suggest that Pfizer was changing some data at the request of the FDA. Shocking. The last bullet point says that uh, this document appears to be another textbook example of how Pfizer simply glossed over adverse events, stating, quote, few severe adverse events, or AEs, were reported, but were considered not related to study intervention, unquote. And it just goes on and on and on. And again, I would recommend bouncing over to ICANN to, uh, to, to get their monthly updates. I will try to remember. I'll certainly make a notation of it here in my notes, but I'll try to make uh, this a regular thing. Certainly probably toward the end of every month, as I'm sure ICANN and their lawyers are going to go through these documents more in-depth than probably I could. And, uh, and I'll bring those updates to you the best that I can. I'm sure that there's way more information within those 52 PDFs that were just released this month uh, re- regarding way more than just these five bullet points that I brought up. But it's still important information, and uh, yeah, got to get it out there when we can. One final thing actually here regarding the ICANN lawyers, and then I'll wrap up the episode, is that Apparently, they made quite the inroad here when it came to the states of West Virginia and Mississippi. Apparently, and you would find this hard to believe, but of all the states in the United States, apparently West Virginia and Mississippi were the only states that did not allow religious exemptions for any kind of shot or vaccine. I find that hard to believe, but apparently it's true. And now uh, they have secured a historic and critical win, it says, with a ruling from the bench following an evidentiary hearing where now the state of Mississippi has to allow for religious exemptions. So there you go. The problem, of course, now lies in the lap of the employer and the school districts for not accepting any kind of religious exemption or medical exemption, but time will tell. It's state law now. And I think West Virginia is either the one that's the lone one that is left, or they've also made it law too. Not entirely sure on that, but either way, congratulations to Mississippi. And sorry to all of those people who got the jabs and tried to fill out a religious exemption and uh, couldn't and ended up losing their job as a result. These are the individuals who should receive back pay and should get their jobs back the people in the state of Mississippi who didn't want to play along. So that's my two cents. But with that said, ladies and gentlemen, I'll catch you on Wednesday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.